Hello, Awkward Family. Another week has passed, and that means another episode of the Awkward Podcast is now here. And this week's episode is one of the more special ones that I've ever done, because it is my wife and myself having a conversation about her journey and all the things that that looks like. I'm so very appreciative of her to have this conversation with me because we, you know, dive into a lot of serious mental and physical things that she has been challenged with through the years. And I'm just very grateful for her story, but also that she would be willing to share all of those things. And so I, uh, I just love her for that, and I appreciate her doing this. So without further ado, hey, Heather, welcome. It's going to get awkward. Meow. Okay, here we go. I'm ready. So, Heather Williams. Hello. My better half. Thanks for doing this. You're welcome. Uh, Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Abilene, Texas. We moved there when I was uh, in first grade. So, basically, all my life in Abilene. And never left until this guy married you and made you move away. Yeah. Um, played a little sports in high school. Yes, I played tennis. Gymnastics. Yeah, I was real good at gymnastics. That is, that's not true. Everybody listening. Um, but uh, I guess from the get go though, you were diagnosed with scoliosis. What grade? Third grade, you know, when they come and do the little... It was that early, third grade. Mm-hmm. And so we got a referral to go to Scottish Rite after that. And, you know, they monitored my curve and my growth. And because I was kind of an early bloomer, um... Nobody was real concerned that it would get worse once I stopped growing. Did you do a brace and all that at mm-hmm. Scottish Rock? Mm-mm, I did not. I did a, I mean, it was back when they were kind of like practicing different things. And so I wore a TENS unit every night that like um, was attached to the weaker sides of my back. And uh, supposedly they thought that it would keep my back from getting worse. Gotcha. But no brace or nothing like that. No. And then, okay, so we'll just move on out of that. So high school, like, did you notice as you grew taller and matured and all that stuff, did it? bother you your back bother you or no no it really didn't bother me at all uh even playing tennis and doing all the swinging and everything Mm -mm. i never did 
college? Bother you? I, I, oh. Yeah, no, you didn't play you didn't play you didn't play tennis at college. I was about to say Evelyn Christian. Uh no, it really really truly nothing bothered me until after we had kids. But did you have to go back and get it monitored or would you just do like a like a like a yearly wellness check where they check that or no? Uh, I mean, I went to Scottish Rite until I was 18. And then after that, I was referred to a place in Dallas that I went a few times. And, uh, you know, it was, was once, it, yeah, once every few years, I would get it checked to see if the curve was progressing. But I didn't, none of it bothered me enough to, like, go consistently so it was just every once in a while gotcha um so you go to acu you graduate we get married Mm -hmm. you move away from abilene um start teaching yes but no back issues no really none of that stuff just every once in a while just like a regular yeah just a backache just like any normal person would get after working out or you know lifting a lot of stuff it really never bothered me gotcha then you start teaching in white settlement at fine arts academy and that's really when kind of pain began to be a part of your journey yeah so i had taught at uh, west elementary for seven years and then moved over to Fine Arts Academy. And I'm I'm pretty sure it was like either that first or second year when, um, I don't know, I can't promise that. It was in the first couple, two or three years that I worked there that I noticed, you know, that I had headaches I was getting headaches pretty often and there wasn't really anything that I could do to make them better. They just, it just hurt all the time. When So when do you remember like doctors diagnosing it as migraines or were you just like, I'm pretty sure this is a migraine? Um, I think that you know, I'd just gone to my regular doctor just to talk about, you know, my headache and stuff like that. And wait, what did you ask me? I can't remember now. Well, like, yeah, did they diagnose it? Like, when did they diagnose it as migraines? Or did you just kind of, from the get-go, kind of know, oh, this is a migraine. But, like, when was your official diagnosis? Like, these are migraines and... Well, I went to... I'd gone to my regular doctor a few times, and so finally, you know, I was getting pretty desperate, and I just started searching, you know, doctors that treat headaches, you know, migraine doctor, and that is where I found the neurologist that I started going to in Dallas. So, so from the time you started having them... 
until they were like, like, well, number one, I guess, how many did you have usually a week? Oh, my head hurt all the time. Yeah. It never stopped. It would just be less than less sometimes. or yeah. more, yeah. but it always hurt. And so how long between kind of that first, man, my head hurts a lot to, um, going to the neurologist mm-hmm. maybe like four to six months after that i don't well that's a hard one yeah all of it gets pretty blurry just because my head hurt the entire time i was doing that so i would say four months okay. i would i was already done i was done yeah. So skip to the neurologist. What was the, what was their thoughts, plans? So the first thing I had to do was read a book that he asked all his patients <laughs> to read before. It's like the worst. <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. medication. Hey, read this book. Right. Because your head hurts. Read it's great. You can yeah. concentrate really well. Yeah. It's great. So I had to read this book and cut out a lot of foods that are common triggers for migraines. And so that's what I did first. And I remember thinking, what in the world am I going to eat when I can't eat any of these things? Like, you know, it was like cheese and citrus fruits and, you know, fresh baked bread and all of the stuff that you're like, well... Mm, what am I going to eat then? And, you know, MSG, caffeine, all of it, chocolate. I could have had any of that stuff for a few months. And then, you know, once he kind of figured out that none of those restrictions were making my head better, then he let me kind of add foods back in to my diet just to just to see if it got worse, but it it really never did. The only thing that I ever felt a difference with was, you know, taking out MSG. Mm. But even that, it worked for a little while, and then, you know, it it wouldn't matter if I ate it or not. My head still hurt. Yeah, Yeah. like the same old. And so, you know, I was referred to, I got a MRI, I went to a ear, nose, and throat doctor there in Dallas. And, you know, it was just more and more things got knocked off the list. Like, this is what could be causing them, or this is what could be causing them. And so, basically, you know, I got my back checked. I got my brain checked. I got my, you know, sinuses and things like that checked and none of it, you know, pointed to this is the reason that your head hurts all the time. And so that was a super, super discouraging, excuse me, time because I was taking a lot of medication. I was taking a lot. I was taking, uh, Tobamax, which is a anti-seizure medication. I was taking um, an antidepressant because when your head hurts all the time, you're sad. Um, 
I was on a high blood pressure medication because that was one of the ways they could kind of like constrict those blood vessels or open up those blood vessels, um, you know, to try to see if that would help. And pretty much like I would get it down to like a dull headache, but there wasn't any, you know, relief ever. And I mean, there were times that it hurt so bad that I had to go to the doctor and get, you know, injections. Yeah. They would fit me in to, you know, give me more than like my rescue meds of triptans, you know, just to kind of knock it down a few notches just so I could function. Yeah. And all the while. For everybody that doesn't know all that, you were a PE teacher with hundreds of kids yep. every day screaming and playing and trying to maintain your job. And um, yeah, that was a whole nother added level to the headaches and things like that. Um, so from the beginning of you going, man, my head hurts a lot to kind of your line in the sand, if you will, how long was that of really just wrestling with headaches all the time? I would say mm, three or four years, probably three years more likely. <clears throat> so as so at the end, the the line in the sand, talk about that a little bit. Like Archer's story? Yeah. Well, oh, okay. yeah, Archer's story. And then also just, you know, that, that desperation level at the end because nothing yeah. worked. Nobody could find anything. Right. Yeah. There was, yeah, there was no. Tried Botox or no? Did you do? So I was signed up to try Botox. Yeah. Um, and they were going through kind of all the insurance stuff because back then it was still, you know, not widely mm. used like it is now. And so it took a it took a while to get me qualified to be able to do that. But I was in the act of getting qualified and I wish I could remember like how old everybody was, but I mean, you know, Bowen must have been first grade. No. Yeah, or second. Well, he was in second grade when Archer was born. Oh, that's right. Yep. So he must have been in first grade, which makes me think it was it was probably like more than like two years that that pain had been going on. Um, so I was, I was feeling kind of, I was happy that, you know, there was something else we could do. Um, but I was also pretty nervous to get those things done. Um, and I'd also been called about, you know, being in a a trial where they put a 
nerve stimulator in your cervical spine somewhere and that would kind of trick those nerves into calming down but i'm not exactly sure how it works but that was also another option for me to do and i think just to kind of drive this that the whole concept home to everybody is your head hurt constantly mm -hmm. for over years. two years. Yep. Yeah, I think, it, I, I don't know. My timeline almost says three or a little bit more. But yeah. anyway, it every day. Yes. It seemed like 10 years, I'm sure. Yes. Just because it wasn't like your head stopped hurting. It was because one day was less than the other. So you're like, oh, it's a little relief. Right. Um, so right. just to push that home that yeah it all all the time and all the time. Uh, yeah and on the days that i felt good i still was taking so much medication right to be able to function during the day that you know i kind of look at that time as like i was kind of like a shell of myself mm -hmm. because i could tolerate so little in the way of you know noise or right. even just thinking and using my brain was just so difficult everything was through a fog and yes yeah, highly sensitive and all right so we're kind of at the precipice if you will we're either going down the road of uh botox which mm -hmm. was still very unknown um but a potential thing and then the having something put into your back yeah and so that was when uh, that was during the summer so i guess after you know i thought about all those things and i was in the process of getting approved to do those things um we went to new mexico like we do every year and i was i would go on a walk every day and uh, on one of those walks, I just started, you know, thinking, I think that, well, hold on, let's go back a little bit. Let's travel back. Because through all of these headaches, you know, we'll get into a little bit of like my spiritual journey through all that. You know, people would pray for me and put their hands on me and you know, I kind of knew, not in a negative sort of way, but just I knew that that is not what was going to make my head stop hurting. Mm. I knew that that would not be it. So I started getting a little frustrated, just people wanting to pray for me. And, you know, like, I know it's not going to do any good. I don't know why I knew that, but I just did. Like, that is not. Um, That's not going to be the avenue of healing for sure. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and, it, and it wasn't anything that, like, made me sad or made me be like, God doesn't love me. But I just knew that wasn't it. And you weren't jaded about that working for somebody. It was very personal. Like, this is not right. the way this. Yeah. Right. Um. 
And so then when we were in New Mexico, I was walking and I walked without earbuds or music just because my brain literally couldn't handle extra noise. And so I was walking and I remember, you know, just feeling this, I wouldn't say like God spoke to me or anything like that, but it was more like this feeling of um, this, this kind of stuff. This happened so long ago, and I've changed so much since then. It feels it feels strange to to say this now that you know I knew God wanted me to have a baby. That feels strange coming out of my mouth now, just because of all of the things that we have gone through in the years since then but I still know in my heart that's what it was it just feels weird to talk about it now but um it was you know you're gonna have another baby and here we we had a seven-year-old we had a 10-year-old and it was just something that I knew I just knew that's what we needed to do. And I also knew that that is what, that is the avenue Mm. of my healing. So knowing that, I shared that with you, I think, because I remember that Sunday was Father's Day. And so you had kind of had that same feeling a little bit, if I'm remembering correctly. Well, you, well, it, this is your story. I know. Um, but you didn't tell me until we. On we, the way home. Well, we got home. Oh, okay. And I was about to leave for work. Got it. Yeah. So, you know, I had just told you those things and uh, it was. And I had written it down in my journal on Father's Day because right. I had taken a walk. Yeah. Yeah. So that was just kind of like more confirmation Um, So like that next week, I feel like it was the next week because all this happened in the same summer. Yep. So I like made an appointment that next week to go to my OB and get my IUD out. And I also kind of knew like this, this is probably not going to take long because Mm. again, that was just another thing that I just kind of new yeah and so that first month that i didn't have my id that is when i think it was at the end of july um i knew that i was pregnant Hmm. and so that was when i started you know kind of like the long process of getting off all of that medication and weaning myself off which the first trimester of pregnancy, you feel gross enough. And then to like be weaning your body off of these antidepressants and anti-seizure medications and all that stuff. I felt pretty darn crappy those first three or four months. And I knew number one, I knew it was because I was a little bit older. And number two, just, you know, the first trimester blech, plus no, you know, t- weaning off these medications that I've been taking for years. Uh, 
made me feel real bad. Real bad. So, um, Archer comes along. Mm-hmm. And when do you notice that you're like, I'm not having constant headache pain well that was probably i would say that within the first by the time i was five or six months pregnant my head had stopped hurting by then um and you know like us also you know another thing that happened during that time was you had um you had a huge wreck and uh, my blood pressure was already high. You know, that was just, I think that's just something of being geriatric pregnancy mm-hmm. person, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a terrible way to put that. Um, is that my blood pressure was high from the very beginning. And I remember when you had the wreck, I know my blood pressure was high. And that was the first time I'd really had a really bad headache in quite a few weeks. And so luckily my doctor's office called something in for me. And uh, I mean, surprisingly, it worked. You know, it was just like Tylenol 3 or something like that. But it actually worked, which would not have happened beforehand. Right. And so you began to notice then that, okay, that's, that's not an issue anymore. Right. So did you notice then that, was it around that time or Archer being one or so that your back kind of took the place of the, of your headaches (laughs) or was it, um, cause you did have some back pain in the pregnancy, but also, you know, you're. Well, and then when you're hauling around these gigantic babies and you wear those guys on your hips all the time, just like after Bowen, after Archer too, you know, like my hip, both my hips were really painful. And of course my back too, but I always chalked it up and it probably was at that point, just carrying babies, lifting babies Right, you know, sure. doing all of the things, um, and you weren't a spring chicken. And yeah, I was not a spring chicken. You were a spring chicken. Uh, uh. But um, what was I saying? Well, you were just well, just kind of how you were at the end of your pre- Like, did your back start really bothering you during the pregnancy? Do you remember? Probably, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just carrying all that extra weight and, you know, your weight shifts around to different parts. And so I, with Bowen and Archer. Yeah, but significantly after hurt. he was born and yeah. having to carry him around. So. Yes, yes. And so when did that, like, really take the place of, like, your headache pain gone but back kind of started kind of taking the place. I would say. Um, a couple of years after he was born or no? Yeah, that's what I would say. I mean, it was. I mean, you know, intermittent back pain because of this, but like when it started, like I can't. Oh, that yeah. was probably after we moved 
Really? out here. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I remember when we were moving and I was packing and stuff that it hurt more, you know, just because I was lifting, but then it was a little different. And then, you know, it got to the point where it would wake me up at night and, but still, I just still kind of felt like it was muscles. Yeah. Um, Let me back up real. So when you were pregnant, did the docs ever say anything about your back where they're like, hey, this, you know, your back is. No, no, no. In fact, people still asked me, do you know you have scoliosis? And I'd be like, duh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. Too. Okay. I just didn't. I couldn't remember that coming up in like during Archer's pregnancy, but. So I knew that my curve had increased. Okay. So at one point, I think it was, you know, Archer may have been one or so. I went to a doctor in Fort Worth and, you know, I kind of felt uh, like he poo-pooed on my back pain mm. just because he was like, hey, why don't you, I'm going to write you a thing to physical therapy. Yes, your curve is increasing, but I think with some PT and, you know, start doing yoga and stuff like that, that... Um, you know, you can strengthen your back and it'll feel better. And to make note, your curve is already significant enough. Right. It, even as a teenager, it was significant enough for people to be like, uh, yeah. you got scoliosis yeah. pretty, pretty bad. And so it had already increased to where PT was not even really going to do anything. So that's. Right. Other. I mean, they gave me good tools to use, you know. Right, like but enough to, for you to know and, that he was kind of poo-pooing on the. Yeah, but that made, it makes me wonder as I look back now, you know, if that degeneration in my spine hadn't started then or if it wasn't as bad then. Oh, um, right, right. And it really was just kind of like the muscle more than um, mm. like my back not having any. Yeah anything or at least the amount of um arthritis correct yeah okay so you'd gone there and then so we move out here and that's when you're like eh, that's not just doing that move right plus the fact that i was you know making beds making a billion beds i was you know mopping floors scrubbing things um a lot and so for a while that you know, I kind of chalked it up to that. Like, I am doing a lot more. Using muscles I haven't mm -hmm. used. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, when my back would ache after I cleaned, I just kind of thought, well, it's because I just worked really yeah, hard. I cleaned a 15,000 square right. foot house. Yeah. So, uh, I really didn't think about it until... That would lead us up to about a year ago, almost exactly. Right. Um, when I had been teaching, and when I started teaching, um, that's when it got way, way worse. Like it went from meh. Of course, I hadn't been doing hardly anything in those months leading up to my teaching job, just because you know I, I didn't have a job at all. So, you know, when it 
got worse almost immediately when I went back to teaching. I was like, okay, something's up. And I had gone to my regular doctor, I think probably before Christmas, and gotten some muscle relaxers and some pain medication. Um, and that hurt, that helped a little, but not a lot. So finally, it was after Christmas last year when I just Googled best spinal surgeon, best scoliosis doctor in Dallas-Fort Worth and just picked him. You know, I just found out who was voted the best one. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to like go get this checked out, yeah, I, I want somebody who's really, really good at it. And so... That is when I called and made an appointment with Dr. Ramos, and he took x-rays, and then I went for an MRI, and went the point at the appointment when I went back, or I, I had my MRI and then met with him later in the afternoon, you know, I remember making, like, some sarcastic comment like wow look at that back isn't that impressive and he was like yeah it's impressive if you even want to have surgery and i remember going ah <laughs> it was like just like that like yeah. that day by the time i left i had my surgery scheduled yeah and so that was super overwhelming and i think i went to my car and cried <clears throat> just because you know well he did notice that yes your spine is way crooked Mm-hmm. And yes, there is a lot of degeneration right. of the spine because of, and, and was it all, was it all just arthritis deterioration or was it? Oh yeah, it was the curve and the fact that where the curve. He wasn't like, oh, you you also have osteoporosis and, you know, things like no, that. Was, no, no osteoporosis. It was just it was because just... it had been inflamed for so long and all the arthritis had taken hold and uh, yeah yeah basically i didn't have any more disc space you know i didn't have that that space between each disc it had basically worn away like from my the top of my um l lumbar i mean uh, thoracic down to my lumbar was all of it was in really bad shape. And I know people say this a lot, but he was like, your spine looks like you're 80 years old. Yeah. So. I mean, enough for him to go, we're going to get this. Right. Now. Yeah. Like now. And he is a world-class dude in, in all the things. And he was, he was pretty emergency. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was in January. And so we scheduled my surgery for the end of May. So, you know, for those weeks in between, you know, I got more muscle relaxers, more pain medication, just to kind of get myself through those next few weeks. And he was like, you know, you really have, you're going to have to work really hard in these coming weeks, get yourself ready to even have the surgery. Yeah. I, you know. So what did that look like? What did, he, what was he really talking about there? Strengthening my core and, um, of course, your core includes your abdominal muscles, your 
back muscles and all of that, getting that nice and strong so that when they did go in and do the surgery, my back would be, you know, have pretty good strength going in. And then that way the recovery, you know, might be easier. So let's cut to surgery. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It, some parts of it seemed like it was like a couple of weeks ago, and some of it seems like it was two years ago. But yeah. um, what you feel like the day of surgery? What did that feel like? Because we already knew that it was going to be about seven hours of a surgery. Yes, they were going in the front, pretty good. Then they were going to cut your back all the way open. Yeah, and so what was your just your feeling, flesh I feeling. Think, I mean, I was happy it was there. I was tired of waiting. Um, and Plenty I had time to prepare. Yes. Because you've been kind of thinking about it for. Yes. And I liked that. I liked being able to prepare and feel like I was doing something in the meantime that would help me after the surgery. Um, and so like that surgery day, leading up to that day, I think my biggest fear and still on that same day, my biggest fear was waking up from mm. anesthesia Yeah, just because I had only done that like one other time. Um, and it was like a 22 and a half minute surgery on my sinuses or something. So... That was my biggest fear. And honestly, I was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. when I woke up, it wasn't one of those things where you're like, well, I feel okay now. And I, but I know I'm going to feel worse in a few hours. I, I oh, mean, no. 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 They did put some long acting like, um, whatever that's called, anesthesia, like in my, where my surgical incision yeah, was, which spine. was like mm. 42 feet long. And so that part didn't bother me, but like they just, they had just taken my body completely, completely apart and put it back together. And I knew as soon as I woke up that that is what had happened because it was pretty bad. Yeah, and I just to add my two cents onto that was, you know, coming out of anesthesia into a place where you know, you know, I, I, I wasn't you, but I saw your reaction, and I know you well enough to know and recognize your reaction to it all was. You popped out of anesthesia pretty quick. Yeah, because you were so aware my body does not feel the same. Yeah. And I can tell that I have been yanked and pulled, which, you know, I'm, I don't know if anybody's ever watched surgery happen. They don't treat you like with kit gloves. They are tossing your body around and, and all the things. And so I could see an ICU as, you know, as doped up and everything as you were, that you could recognize that your body had been tossed around, 
turned over quickly, your guts pulled out, moved around, done all the things. You were very aware of that, even though, you know, you couldn't feel all the pain that you, you know, you could have felt. Right. But you were very aware that your body was not okay and not not, uh, the same in in a good way, but then also in a very bad way because that kind of took us on our next six day journey of your intestines not waking up we were in the hospital forever and our total was nine days yeah it was a lot i mean i knew they told me they were like you need to expect to be in the hospital for at least a week right so that way you know if you get to go home a day earlier than that that's great if you stay longer than that that way you know you don't feel so yeah frustrated that you're not getting released but to your credit everything else was above schedule except for your go your guts waking up basically your intestines waking up was the the lengthy stay um so yeah just describe everything they did for those that aren't 100 percent familiar so what they did was the first thing they did was they made an incision right around my belly button and so in my head i had pictured it as this small incision like to the left of my belly button and you know where it was gigantic it like goes from a couple about an inch above my belly button all the way down to my i don't know what to call it yeah right i mean i would say a cubic cubic bone. bone yeah And so what they did there was they move everything to the side. They don't cut any muscles on that part. But they they go in and they basically install kind of like a cage around those bottom load-bearing vertebra. And so they build a cage and then um, that way that sets them up to when they turn me over um, and make that incision that way that stability is there and then they go ahead and they correct everything they need to and so they ended up doing l3 pretty sure yep all the way down to my sacrum so if you were to see an x-ray of me, you would see that I have, you know, uh, hardware all the way down to the bottom of my spine. And then I have two pretty long screws that go into each hip bone to stabilize all of that area down. So it was it was a lot. Yeah, mostly because they were about to twist your spine because your spine not only curves it twists right and so if i remember that correctly that was part of the stabilization is because they were going to have to twist your spine back into alignment as well as uncurve it but a lot of that was the support for the twist and to get those bottom ones because they were curved yeah twisted as well to get them back in line right and i remember um him saying you know i was pretty concerned that when we went into the back, that it would take a lot of effort to mm. get your spine back to 
it would be kind of hard to get it to go back. And he was like, it just kind of, once we started, just kind of fell into line. Um, I wish I could see, you know, what that looks like when they do that. Because, you know, with orthopedic doctors, I, I always envision them with like a hammer and a chisel. Oh, for sure. You know, and they're yeah. like hammering crap around. So I just wonder what it looked like. Just a good old pipe wrench kind of. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Twisting your spine back into place. Uh, But he was, he was pleasantly surprised that it kind of did what he wanted it to do once he got started. So that was really good. Um, So I was in the ICU for, I don't know, 24 hours. It was two days. Yeah. Um. I remember in my medicated haze, this is the funniest part, like I was aware that I was going somewhere and I'm assuming it was from recovery to ICU. And I thought we had gone outside and I thought they had taken, (laughs) they had taken me to a a cabin, kind of like, you know, the way you see it, like assisted living where it has like. (laughs) a wing of uh, rooms that were all on the first floor, you know. And so when I figured out that I was in a regular hospital room, I was real confused because it was dark when I came in that room. You know, all the lights were off. You know, I my nurse was taking care of me, which shout out, he was the best nurse ever. Um, oh, you talking about from ICU to no, from recovery because oh, recovery guy, okay, yeah. Well, I you had me completely. I, I even asked the ICU nurse, I was like, did she go outside or like they, you had me completely convinced that that there was a reason that you thought that, and she's like, no, she came from the operating room straight to ICU. But I'm not outside. Like I go outside. Uh, yeah, this I was little no. So you're, we're in the hospital. Yeah. And then from that moment on, I was completely lucid, and I never, like, you know, you see all those anesthesia videos of people waking up or whatever. Oh, yeah. I was not like that, and I had a feeling I wouldn't be just because it takes. So much, yeah, to <laughs> knock me out, to make my pain go away. You, you know, built up a tolerance to the pain meds. Yeah. So that was so much so, and I'll just tell this on you. Uh, uh, Dilaudid is a small amount of medication that makes me completely lose all space and time, and I can see through space and time. That's what it does to me. And they had you on a Dilaudid drip. Mm-hmm. and it was doing nothing. And I'm like, yeah. how is this not sedating this girl? It was blowing my mind because I'm like, just give me a little bump and yeah. I'll be. I mean, you ended up setting a timer for 10 minutes yep. so that I would know Time. as soon as I could push that button because it just wasn't working. Right. So that even speaks to how lucid you were because – you remember that, and that was not long after they brought you back. So there was no downtime of drowsy, oh, in and out or whatever. No. You were, and that's, I guess, why I say that I was very aware of how aware you were that, oh, man, my body does not feel the same. Yeah. 
I have been thrown through the ringer. Yeah. And then my intestines, about that time, my intestines also decided they didn't want to work. And that honestly, like that was the worst part of being in the hospital was having that um, NG tube um, because it was terrible and it made me mad and it made me sad and I couldn't eat anything and ugh, it, it was made the you immediately worst. nine months pregnant. Yeah, it was the worst. I just, oh gosh. I just remember seeing how distended your abdomen was and how painful that looked because you had sutures on the front. Yeah. And I was, that can't be good for your sutures or you and all the things. And finally they were like, oh, no, no, no. We need to probably release that. And, yeah. So let's get out of the hospital. Your recovery, um, I'll still, to my dying day, the champ you were from recovery, getting to the house and working your physical therapy your recovery like a, I mean, a prize fighter. You should win an MMA champion belt for how hard you fought for recovery. And Yeah. I just I, knew that the more work that I did, the sooner I would feel good. Yep. And so that really was the motivation to walk all the walking that I did at first. You know, like it was hard just to go around the island in the kitchen and back and I remember what a big deal it was when the first time I walked like on the driveway and then the first time that I made it all the way down to the gate which I was it was amazing that such a small thing would be such a big deal but it really I liked it because I could see you know my ability to uh, you know, do more and more was directly affected by working hard at my physical therapy and just walking. And yeah, and pushing yourself to the next level. Okay, so what's the next thing? So I can yeah. walk. I don't want my brace because your brace was hurting you. It was the worst. And they were like, yeah, don't use a brace. If you're good without it, then, Um, but it was always that next thing. So, now we're eight months post-surgery. What do you feel like today? Uh, I think the best way to describe it is that, you know, the first few weeks after surgery, you think to yourself, I have made the biggest mistake in my whole life. I should yeah. not have done this. This is way too hard. I'm in way too much pain. It's taking forever to get better. And so I remember it was probably the first time I got to drive afterwards, which was probably about six weeks, five or six weeks after surgery. Um, I was finally like, okay, I made the right choice. And so, you know, now I can say that. I can say that was a great choice. I'm glad I did that because I feel just so much better um i think the biggest setback was just the weather getting cold and how 
I didn't really expect it, but how the cold just made me way colder than before. And it's not just an old wives' tale that metal in your body right. affects you in cold weather and weather changing. It's a real deal. Yeah. It it was painful and made me tight all the time because I would tense up. Um and how cold you are. I mean, you yeah. just you just are cold a lot. And so that, you know, that was a bit of a setback. But slowly, you know, I'm having, I would say, 90% good days. And then every once in a while, I'll be exhausted. Because really, the the exhaustion is what lasted the longest. I would say up until... You know, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, up until then, I was exhausted every single day, all the time. And so finally, at this point, I feel like 90% of the time, I have enough energy um, and, you know, just a few either painful or tired days yeah. sprinkled throughout. And most of those being coinciding with cold days because your body just gets i mean you know without even you thinking it is just tightening up because of the 15 pounds or 20 pounds of metal in your body now so yeah so okay so how a big part of this is just your journey with pain and just sharing that so that people can hear that and maybe they're going through the same thing or have somebody they're going through that with. Um, what, how do you, I don't know. How do you want to share that journey? Just what has it done to you physically, especially just like the headache stuff? Cause you had gotten to a point there where you were just done. Yeah. done. Um, well, I have become a big proponent of, you know, you can't ever compare your pain or your story or your journey with anybody else's. Um, And I'm not, and, you know, I'm not even saying that I handled all of this with uh, grace and, um, positivity because I didn't and honestly when you said you know my pain journey I honestly have never seen it like that I like when you said that it made me tear up and cry because you know that's just not something that I consider my story to be about but it is yeah you know just because i'm one of those people that i i'm always looking to the positive and i'm always moving forwards and so to look back and realize that that actually was you know whatever you want to call it a journey a you know, a series of unfortunate events is the way that I kind of think of it. Like, you know, I got through that, the headaches part, and felt great. 
And, uh, you know, I hadn't really thought about connecting that also to my, you know, back pain story. Um, so being able to sit down and think of it that way, it made it, you know, easier to think about, but then it also made it a little bit harder for me to think about just because it's kind of like, I don't ever think, you know, oh, woe is me. Right. I mean, during the pain, during especially the headaches, um, during that, of course, I felt that way. It was awful. Um. Well, that's also a little bit of the, the mental toll that it took on you because you weren't that kind of person. Right. But it was also, you could not get out from underneath that pain. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I would take back pain over headaches mm-hmm. any day. Because just because, you know, it's your literal brain that feels like it's on fire or either on fire or in a fog or something where you are just not yourself. And uh, um, just cognitively, you were not present. No. There's no way. There's no way it could be. I yeah. I mean, I was barely <clears throat> functioning, you know, day-to-day life, just doing the bare minimum. And I, I didn't like that. I didn't like, I'm not a bare minimum kind of person. I'm not somebody who likes to be slowed down or anything like that. So that was especially difficult. Um, And honestly, you know, I'm terrible at going back and processing through emotions. Um, In fact, I've been very proud of myself throughout this that I've talked about it. I'm very surprised that I haven't cried, probably because I'm not looking at at you in the face. Yeah. We're both facing forward. (laughs) Yeah. Full disclosure, full transparency, (laughs) we're laying in the bed right now. Yep. And our our uh, number one purchase out of the surgery yes. was the uh, adjustable beds that mm-hmm. are on their own little mattresses. So we're like eighty year olds sleeping yep. in our own beds, uh, but, but together, great. but together. Yeah, I've, I figured this would probably be a good way to, for you to process it all and not look at me. Yeah, I. Uh... You know, sterile. of course, yeah, of course, I'm a I'm a completely different person. Um, then even I was, you know, once my back started giving me problems. And so I think that some of that other stuff that we've dealt with, you know, has kind of overshadowed just, you know, all of the, the physical things that I've gone through, um, you know, with moving and, uh, you know, having new jobs that, you know, unexpectedly, um, I feel like that kind of took precedence over or emotional, it took more emotional energy. And so I think that's maybe why 
I haven't thought about it a lot just because for a long time it was kind of the secondary um, issue that was going on, not the primary one. Right. Because hmm. I think even as I processed it, um, of things that were issues in our marriage or hurdles we had to get over from a couple standpoint, I don't feel like pain was ever one of those no, I don't things. think so either. Even though it was like this, you know, I mean, you don't like to see it that way, but it's a huge part of your journey um, in your adult life is pain. Yeah. And I mean, it is, it's definitely a part of your journey, but it's, and, and not a, not a pretty part of right. the journey. And, and, and it's something that, you know, you or anybody can be like, I'm so sorry that happening, that's happening, but you're also very unable to say, I know how that feels. Right. Um, and so I think a lot of it, you know, was something I had to do by myself. And that was really, you know, I'm already somebody who's like, oh my gosh, just let me do it. Just, right. I don't want help. Just let me do it. Yeah. And so I think in some ways it really kind of separated me from you in some ways just because there's no way that you could have understood you know the depths of like my pain or how I felt or how I was dealing with that and so I think I probably you know really kind of blocked myself off a little bit during that time just because I had to do that to survive. Um, and, you know, the headaches were something you couldn't look at me and say, oh, wow, you know, I see your disability. I see. Yeah. And when the back thing was definitely, you know, you can see that. You can see the scars you can see all of those things and kind of be like oh that was a big deal um but you can't really with your brain right and i think i mean from your headache standpoint i think i couldn't fully sympathize i could empathize because you know i've had migraines most of my life too not in that same way and so i had had enough dealings with migraines so i'm like oh man i do what you got to do yeah i'm not gonna give you a hard time or oh my gosh you got another hair you know whatever but like okay i get it i don't get it get it but i get it yeah and so it was a not a, for me it was always a, a little bit about that on the headaches and then yeah i mean i anytime you could you've been over i could see how twisted your spine had become or you know was and become but also i'm like man she sleeps on a heating pad every night and you know all, all the other yeah. parts to the back stuff and having my own back problems knew that okay back pain is not cool and mine's just a few disc things not right curvature and rotation yeah and massive hump arthritis. and all the things yeah so I think that's why there was there was enough sympathy in my brain enough to go not going to really be an issue even in a lot of the detachment of 
you know, I know that that mentally you struggle with that, like not being in, you know, enough of a mom or enough of a, a wife because you just dealt with pain so much and it created such a, a fog and all the things. Um, so where, how do you, like, even then in the, the, the depression side of that, did that play just a big part in like just your own mental health through the headaches, through all of that? How? Yeah, I kind of at first, you know, was a little bit in denial because I'm like, it's just a headache. Like, why? Why do you feel sad about that? And until, you know, I realized just what a toll physical pain, you know, takes on your mental health. Um, after that, I was way better at kind of taking care of myself and, you know, just getting to the point where um just able to say, you know what, I'm probably just going to be taking these antidepressants for ever just because you know i don't know if without i think even without the headaches i still would have needed something just because of the record of postpartum depression and right you know how after archer you know it was real real bad it was worse than bowen after bowen that you know i really I'm going to have to just listen to my body and my mental health and really be more aware of, you know, when it's getting worse and catching it before it gets really bad. I mean, that's that's still something I think about a lot, you know, every day. You know, how am I doing mentally, um, you know, just because that recovery of my spinal surgery was also mentally was hard mentally and emotionally, even though I felt proud of myself and I could see, you know, I could see myself getting better. I could see improvements every day. It still was extremely taxing, you know, mentally to keep yourself up and motivated and all of those things so to me mental health uh you know having pretty good mental health going into that surgery um allowed me to be okay afterwards you know i didn't um need a medication increase or anything right. until recently and honestly, you know, like the winter's the worst time of year for, you know, mental illness. And so, you know, just the yearly kind of down in the dumps feelings um, have been better, too, just because I've paid attention and, you know, spoke to my doctor about that. And so she's she's really good at taking care of me in that way. Well, and the other part and we kind of left that out is how 
how bad your blood pressure got right before surgery too. Oh yeah. And yeah, just because of pain. Yeah. Just how much pain can affect everything else. And so it, it, I don't know. And I'm, this may be me exaggerating things, but it's like, as soon as you had the surgery, your blood pressure went to back to normal. Right. And it was because, yeah, you're in pain because of surgery and all, you know, all the, the rehab stuff and healing, but it was like your body was like, oh man, yeah. kind of back to at least a homeostasis right. place of really no inflammation. Because That's another part. We didn't really, the inflammation in your spine and the amount of arthritic material that they took off of your spine, which crazy cool science stuff is mixed it with cadaver bone and this stem cell glue and put it all back on your spine. Yeah. It's just amazing. It is amazing. The amount of arthritic material they had to scoop out Mm -hmm. because it had been so inflamed for so long and it turned into this degenerative bone and no tissue and, or uh, not tissue, the disc space, disc space and discs. Um, it, it was phenomenal, but it was like your body knew, man, we're kind of getting back to normal. And yeah. so, all right, blood pressure, you don't have to be as high. I mean, I still, uh, you know, <laughs> right. I have yeah. blood pressure the rest of my life, high blood pressure, Which you but had, you know, you've had, there's a family history of things like yeah. that. So it's, that's, but it's so much better, but it's know? not you worrying that you're about to have a stroke. Right. Um, things that you still are encountering that can kind of mess with your mental health is and it seems a little bit because you're like well i mean my spine's good but okay i can't bend over anymore <laughs> like i i don't have that range of motion is gone yeah but it's not because of pain it's just the thing that was put in place to release my pain doesn't allow me to right i mean basically you know within 12 to 18 months, my spine will be at, you know, at the levels that they corrected will be one long bone. Yeah. So the fact that I was inflexible before is I'm super inflexible now. Um, You weren't able to do cartwheels before you won't be able to. Correct. Or back bends or. Correct. Um, but to me, losing that mobility is worth it. Um, you know, and I'm still pretty careful with myself, you know, I'm pretty cautious about, you know, overdoing it or doing something that, you know, might make me fall or something like that. And I know eventually I'll be able to not worry about that as much, you know, once my doctor's like, yes, you're fully healed. But just kind of thinking it is, I've learned it is, it takes up a lot of my brain space still. Just thinking about, you know, is what I'm doing okay, Uh, you know, could I a lot of it is could I fall or trip or something like that and so I still dedicate a lot of mental energy to making sure that 
I'm being safe. And uh, but most of the time, it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so happy that my back feels better because it does like, you know, my my muscles will get tight, but it is, you know, 10 percent of right. Nothing compared, nothing compared to the way it was before. Well, take it from me, uh, falling in your late 40s is not for anybody, <laughs> back surgery or not. You just you slip on some ice and fall in your stove up for two days. Not yeah. not cool. Um, So th- what does the doctor say, you know, two years from now, what, what does that look like? I mean. So there's no twisting. Yeah, I mean, minimal. There, I still have a small rib hump, you know, because they right. – because of my age, they weren't going to be able to go in and and make it perfect. Yeah, they couldn't break your ribs and put everything back. Right. Um, so, I mean, basically what I understand it to be is once it's completely healed. So I'll go back in May and they'll take x-rays and, and look at the healing process. And basically after that, I'll be cleared to do anything that I did before. So, um, I think the only thing they like caution you against is like, don't play contact sports, which you don't have to be afraid of that with me. I don't want to be on the ground. Um, they're like, Hey, get on a roller coaster. Yeah. Oh yeah. I can do anything that I, I did before. So, uh, um, I'm just, until then I'm just kind of, you know, taking it easy and, making sure that I'm exercising and keeping myself, basically just keeping myself moving because I know that's always going to be better for me than to, you know, just be lazy and laying around. Right. Well, and then going into the spring and the summer and being able to start really walking without the fear of the cold yeah, getting you in stiffening you up because even in the fall you were still you know wasn't like you were jogging around or whatever but you can you'll be able to get to a place where by summer that yeah and like looking forward to not being stuck in the house all summer right, long right well that was yeah that's a whole nother i think i cried about that more than i cried about yeah. uh my back hurting i'm pretty sure i only cried about my back hurting uh, one time in ICU, and then after that, I was kind of like, and then okay. having your uh, your uh, catheter. Oh Lord Jesus, yeah. I was the worst. Or uh, knowing that you had to keep it in for a little bit longer was yeah, that, I did that cry about good. that. But most of it was, I need to get out of this house. I'm tired right. of you know that was what was mentally and emotionally the hardest is just. All the things that I couldn't do. Um, and I remember the first time we we went to Stephenville after my surgery and I just sat at cold smoke and had a drink. And it was like the best feeling in the world yeah. because I was not in my house. Sitting on your pillows. Yep. In a cold smoke chair. Yep. So because you can speak to it more so than probably anybody I know, um, and, you know, we recognize you're 
you're not the worst as far as pain goes, but you can at least empathize with people. What, what do you, what advice do you give to somebody that, that may be living in pain right now that could not, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go, what to do, uh, all the things. What would you say to somebody that was listening to that, listening now? Um, what would you say to those folks if you were given a big TED talk about pain? <laughs> I think the first thing I would do is, is say that to be sure to advocate for yourself um, hmm. and to, uh, at the same time, I mean, I guess it's kind of the same thing, but to be your own biggest cheerleader of, you know, if people aren't giving you the right answers or, you know, if things aren't getting better to always kind of be that squeaky wheel and to keep you know, trying to f- find a solution. I I love to, you know, find solutions. I'm not somebody who's big on, oh, let's just wait it out and see. Yeah. Because I'm just not a big fan of, you know, being in pain or whether it's physical or emotional. And so I learned to be that squeaky wheel and keep asking and keep, you know, what else could we do? What else could you give me to help this? Is there anything else I can be doing? And just really advocating for yourself because you're really the only one who can, you know, describe to other people how you feel. And I know that, you know, I think we're learning now that often you know, women's physical pain isn't always taken as seriously as it should be. Um, And so really just keep on telling and keep on asking and keep on trying to find people who believe you, who will are willing to, you know, try different things i mean that would be my first um is to not just sit and wallow around and really kind of get some action going and not ignore it and then also to just realize that it's okay to have a really hard time mentally and emotionally when you are physically in pain. Yeah. That those two aren't exclusive of each other and that you probably are going to need to treat both of those things, not just one, especially if it's long term um, and there's no like end in sight that you need to be healthy mentally to be able to deal with the physical part of your pain that you're in. Yeah. I think that from my point of view, looking at your situation as your husband, I think 
the lowest points you had were the times when you were like, it is what it is. Yeah. And then when you would get out of that for whatever reason, whether it was, you know, I don't feel like I did a lot of nudging, but the, the things that got you out of the is what it is slump is when you would start feeling better because there was action being made and it was you being a squeaky wheel and this guy looking at my x-ray going, you know, or whatever. And I don't know. You're, it's not that bad. Okay. Well then we're going to get on to the next thing. Right. I don't believe you or right. don't, because you don't believe me. I don't believe you that it is what it is. So, um, and I think like you said, it, that can be a mental health as well. Because when you, well, I mean, it is what it is. I'm, yeah. well, there's, there's something else you can be doing. It, it may be a medication. It may be therapy. It may be getting some understanding and breakthrough on what's making you sad or whatever that like pain, um, yeah. getting a grip and understanding how hard pain is helped you understand that's a big part of your mental health. I don't think that you would have in the past looked at uh, you know, the mental capacity it takes just for you to be functioning throughout the day, not think about tripping. Right. Like you realize now that takes a lot of my brain space. Yeah. But that's because you're self-aware about your mental health and what, you know, what your brain's thinking about. And, um, for me, that's because you never stopped it. It is what it is. You kept moving forward and yeah. pressing forward. So I think asking for answers and not letting anybody say, well, this is all we can do. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any way that I would ever, you know, stop if there was somebody telling me that. I Except think for that the spine it, surgery. He told you that's good. So we're going to. Right. Right. We're going to call that good. Well, I, uh, I am very proud of you for your recovery through your back surgery, but also just, I, I know I don't tell you enough how proud I am of your staying power through the pain. I, we were going to do this first season and there was a lot of just like, I mean, do we talk about her back surgery or what do we talk about? And it just became more and more apparent to me. It's this journey of pain that you've had and what does that look like? Because I think we can dismiss that, you know, kind of like my conversation with Destin about grief, like we dismiss pain as, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. Pain's part of life. Well, it is, but there's also this place that you can get, especially, you know, migraines, which hit first that it takes so much out of you. You can't even be your normal self because of pain yeah and i think a lot of people get into that rut of well it is what it is what am i gonna do well you can you can do something right and so thank you for sharing all that and being and any other I would, yeah any i other, would just also like thoughts? to say that i'm proud of myself for doing it because i think that's another thing that sometimes we are, you know, like, 
I don't, I can't remember the word right now, but it's okay to tell yourself you're doing a good job. It's okay to be your own biggest fan or your own biggest cheerleader because you're the one that has to live in your body all the time and in your brain. And it's okay to celebrate those little things um, and feel proud of yourself because I think that was a big shift in my thinking is every little thing can be a big deal and something to celebrate and a reason to feel good about yourself that you know, even if it's a small step forwards, it's still a step forwards. Um, that is just who I am as a person that is inside my DNA. I can't not, you know, be positive and always looking on the bright side and finding things to feel happy about and feel proud of myself for. So, um, like, don't be, I know you and I are probably opposite in this yeah. thing of, if I do one thing, I'm real proud of myself. Like, I don't know, but, you know, that's probably the difference between a seven and a three or, you know, three with a four wing is that, <clears throat> excuse me is that I love to find those little things to be happy about and excited about. And I think that really kind of helped in my recovery with all of the things right. is being that kind of person who can recognize just a little bit of positivity or a little bit of growth or a little bit of um, change. And... Yeah, I would love to see the study done on recovery rates for those that are pessimistic versus optimistic. Yeah. Like, how would my recovery have been? Because I am not optimistic, very pessimistic. And does that make a huge difference? I, I probably think it does. But then there's also like this thing in me where I've got to work and do and perform to get, you know, I got to make it look good. And that's not what drives you. Yours is the, the bright side of it. I don't know. I'd be interested to see yeah. how that would play out from a personality standpoint. Um, any other thoughts from your angle for folks? Um. Pain surgery wise. Seek out the best doctor yep. if you've got scoliosis or some kind of thing that you're hesitant about doing or you know that down the road that I've got to do this. But Yeah, and I mean, you know, <clears throat> our health system is so hard to navigate through right now, but my encouragement would always be to go get it checked out. Like, you never know. Ask for a second opinion. Um, don't delay taking care of your body or your mind mentally or physically right sure. right um don't delay in that and you know as much as you can 
ask questions, find the best people for you if somebody's not working. Like, for example, with the the first doctor I went to, you know, that was not working for me. I And I'm sure he would have come to the same conclusion as Dr. Ramos, but I wasn't willing to waste any more time right. with that doctor wasn't it was time to move on and i think you also you end up knowing like who you know almost like who you're supposed to be with because it was very and it might have been because of his answer but you also were like yeah this is my guy yeah this is my guy because i like people who are decisive and don't give non-answers to things. You know, I mean, if we're going to do it, let's... Yeah, there was no skirting around for him. Let's get it done. But there was no skirting around in his plan for recovery either. He right. was, I mean, he was cut and dry on both ends, pre-surgery and post, so... Yep. That's always good. Well, I uh, I love you. I love you, too. You're awesome. And thank you for sharing this. And and I'm very proud of myself also because I didn't like cracking you, inappropriate jokes. No inappropriate or, jokes or you didn't cry. I, well, it's okay. If I, I would have been fine crying. I well, was just I'm like, just, I'm impressed that you didn't. Yeah, thanks. Because this usually pushes you to that point. But, yep. Um, and thank you for uh, influencing the awkward in awkward mm-hmm. so thanks for being an awkward yeah all the time i love you i'm always awkward okay i love you're you you're the best bye bye <laughs>